Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and we continue on our birth stories for the summer series. This week, Kate Tursa tells us about her epidural births and highlights how what happens during the third stage of labor can impact breastfeeding and your recovery even for many weeks after the birth. Stay tuned. This episode of Breathful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding and their free quick start video. Created by breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nespa and Nancy Moorbacher, this video will show what you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be. Thank you so much for all the love you give the show and for letting me know how much you are enjoying these birth stories. Please, please keep sending me your thoughts and suggestions through the contact form at birthful.com and leaving your reviews on iTunes. That really helps to get the show in front of more Mighty Mamas. Today marks the halfway point in our birth stories for the summer series. Can you believe it? I can't. The time is flying by, but I am also very excited about what I have in store for you for September. While doing these birth stories, I have noticed that a lot of different circumstances and questions have come up around the third stage of labor. So I contacted Dr. Sarah Buckley, and we will be having her back on the show to talk about just that, about the third stage of labor. Also coming up in September is a show about vaccines. Oh my goodness. This is something I've been wanting to tackle for a while now and finally found the perfect person to interview to talk about this. So great things in store in September. Then so, you know, you have to keep listening. And if you've been listening for the past few weeks, then you know that I'm super, super, super close to releasing my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit. So close, in fact, that I'm going to stick my neck out right now and declare that it will be available next week. I know that many of you have been anxiously waiting for its release. So, well, there you go. Now you know. Next week. Next week, it will be ready. So if you've been thinking about signing up for the early bird list to do it, you should do it now by going to birthful.com slash toolkit. That way you'll be the first to know when it goes live and I will send you a discount code to boot. It's a quick recap of what the support kit is about. I've taken all the fabulous things I've learned being a doula over nine years, working side by side with birth partners and made it into a super accessible and straightforward resource that's going to guide your birth partner so that they can give you truly helpful, keyword helpful support while having them feel confident and being also an active part of the process. I know that you both are going to love this. So if you're expecting, go sign up at birthful.com slash toolkit. All right. So now on with the show. Remember how I was just talking about the stuff that happens during the third stage of labor and how we're going to be doing a whole episode with Dr. Sarah Buckley on that? Well, Kate Terza is here to tell us about her birth stories with epidurals, but also to share about how what happened right after her third birth threw things off for 
a loop for weeks without her quite knowing what was going on. I will not tell you anymore. I will let her tell you. But first of all, Kate, welcome to the show. Hi. Yay. So you have, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and you have three kiddos um, between the ages of like five and a half and two. Yes, we have um, our oldest will be five in September, or six, excuse me, six in September. And then the next is 19 months behind him. So he's four. And then our last is, uh, will be two in September. The first and the last were born on the same day. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> How wacky is that? Yeah, it, obviously it was, it was unplanned, um, but yeah, it worked out. Mm, I love when things like that happen. Like my daughter is was born on our anniversary. Oh, yeah. See, that's sweet. They do things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it happens. <laughs> so let's take you back six years, five and a half, you know, before you gave birth for the first time. And do you remember what your feelings about birth were at that point? Like, what were you, what were your wishes? What were you wanting for that labor? Right. So I um, was naive going into my first birthing and postpartum experience. I was one of the first of my family and friends to have a child that I was close, a family or friend that I was close enough that I could draw from. So um, I was kind of going in blindly. I went to the same OB practice that I had gone to for years and that I actually was born at. Um and I just kind of went with the flow. Whatever they suggested I did, I did. And I didn't really have anything, any other experience or anybody else telling me there were other things that I could be doing, such as looking at midwife practices or anything like that. And I was satisfied. I didn't feel like I uh, was missing out at that point. Um, and so I just did, I did, a, I think it was a Lamaze class at the hospital that I was going to deliver at. I did a, like a newborn care class. Um, but I didn't do very much reading and I, I didn't really do a terrible amount of investigating online at that point. I was still, I just, my, I've always kind of felt that my body in general, my life, I kind of always just go with my gut and whatever feels right is what I do. And at that point, that's what felt good. So we just kind of rolled with it. Um, and I was in a wedding. My cousin was having, she was getting married on September 11th. I was due September 21st and she was getting married. Um, it was about five hours of the drive away from us. And I was a bridesmaid. She asked me to be her bridesmaid. And of course, first time mama, sure, no problem. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right. So, um, we, I remember going to my OB and telling him that, and he was adamantly against me doing it. But uh, my stubborn headedness, I decided that it didn't, it felt right to me to be there for her and it would be okay no mm -hmm. matter what. So um, we packed everything in the event that we would have a baby five hours away from our home. We had my medical records with us and we went to the wedding. Baby didn't come. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because I kept telling him, you're not coming. Mama needs to do this. Like, this is important to me. And I truly believe that. Like, you're, when your body is ready for you to have the baby is when the baby comes. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, a, it's, you know, you're in there together for sure. Baby <laughs> kind of indicates stuff, but you can talk to baby. 
Yeah. And I, I definitely truly believe that he was like, okay, mom, I'll listen. Maybe the only time he listens, but he listened. And then two days later um, is when I actually ended up having him. Um, but yeah, so my, my prenatal was pretty, um, what I thought was what everybody went through. And I just kind of had, I had minimal education. And I think that worked to my advantage once we got into the throes of everything. But my goal was to just have vaginal birth because I had a friend that I had seen postpartum that had had a C-section. And I remember how limited she was movement wise and how, how in pain she was and how upset she was about her experience and traumatic it was for her. And I really just didn't want that. But that was the only parameter I really kind of set. Mm-hmm. Which is a good parameter. And uh, what you're saying is is not like a lot of people go into birth like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that I, I, I obviously had no idea what to expect. So I didn't want to set my expectations high because I didn't want to be let down that something wasn't going to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the way that I had had planned for it. Um, so that I, and I remember, um, my husband asking me what my birth plan was. And I told him that I said, I just want a vaginal birth. I don't know what's going to happen once we get in, in the room. Cause we were delivering at the hospital, um, what was going to happen. But, um, whatever I said in that moment, he was to, to advocate for me. That's kind of how we, we had chosen to go ahead and do that. Perfect. So how did you, two days later, how did you yeah. know you were in labor. Okay, so um, I woke up to go to the bathroom. As everybody knows, you do late pregnancy at around four, and my water had broken. It was like all over the bed, and I I don't know when it broke, but it was broken. So um, I was having contractions. You know, once I was awake, I was realizing that I was having contractions. And we went, we called the doctor, we went to the hospital, which at that point was like a 45 minute drive. And um, my husband, I remember him driving and just kept asking, are you okay? Are you okay? And I just kept saying, just get me there. Just get me there. (laughs) (laughs) How was it feeling at that point? It was completely manageable. Looking back, it was completely manageable. But I was, I wasn't scared is the wrong word, but I think I was, you know, apprehensive about what was going to be happening. And I just was going to feel safer in the hospital hoping that they would be able to be like, okay, this is what's happening. This is how fast you're going. This is how far along you're going. This is what to expect. Um, So I was just, I remember feeling very nervous on the way there, but not on, I mean, I was uncomfortable, but I wasn't in extreme pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we got to the hospital, say around five, and we went through the ER entrance. And I remember that being feeling so so cold and shaking and shaking and uncontrollably shaking and being so cold and they brought me up and they admitted me right away and then the, I, I had a fever which is why I, probably why I was so cold and shaking and it was fairly high I don't remember the exact number but it was like 102 103 and so I think that kind of um a lot of my memory I've lost specifics of that birth because I probably was just kind of a little delirious because of the fever. Um, But I remember getting in the room and there was um, one of the rooms in our hospital had a a large, they had just redone the the labor and delivery. And one of the rooms had a large tub. You couldn't birth in the tub, but you could labor in the tub. And I remember wanting that room. And 
my husband, because I had said it once, was wonderful. And he, I remember him telling the nurse she wants that room. And she said, well, she can't get in it. She's got a fever. And I remember him really getting upset about that. And we, so they just basically put me in a bed because of the fever. Um, they had to monitor the baby and they started me on IVs and antibiotics right away. So I wasn't able to move, which I remember feeling, I felt too restricted and it felt that's when things really started to get uncomfortable. Um, and I was, I remember laying on my side and just going with it. And, um, my husband was completely supportive and just kind of rubbing me and trying to do whatever he thought I needed, but I was in the zone and I didn't want anybody near me. And then probably around nine, it was, I couldn't breathe through my contractions. Like everything that I had learned in the, the childbirthing class, I, I just couldn't catch my breath. I remember them just being an incredible, consistent pain. And I turned to my husband and said, I, I need an epidural. Like I, this is too much for me. And so he did, he went and he got the nurse and they called the anesthesiologist and probably 20 minutes later, they gave me the epidural. And I'm pretty sure that that what I was experiencing, why I couldn't breathe was transition, because as soon as they gave me the epidural, I, I started pushing. Mm. And I was going to ask, did they when they you first got there, did they check you at they all? They did. And honestly, I don't remember. I think I was like six. Like I was fairly far along. Yeah. Um, and but I don't that's there's a lot of things, little details like that that I don't remember about that. Mm hmm. Um, birth, but um, so I, I progressed fairly quickly. I mean, I got there probably between five and five thirty, and then uh, the epidural was maybe nine thirty or ten, and he was born at ten twenty six. Oh wow! Yeah, um, I pushed for maybe a half an hour, and it was interesting with the epidural. I remember the feeling of once I had that epidural, the feeling of just you're not pain free, but I remember just being finally able to relax. And, um, then they checked me and I started pushing, but I was ineffective in the pushing probably. I'm assuming that's because I had the epidural and noon mom. You don't really know what you're supposed to push with. I feel like, mm -hmm. so I remember pushing with my, basically my ab muscles to try and get this baby out. And I remember this one nurse, she was wonderful through this whole thing. And she was holding my leg, one of my legs, and she put her fingers somewhere and said, this is where you need to push. And I felt her fingers, and then that's when my effective pushing started. And it was fairly soon after I had first tried to push, my ineffectively, that she had said that. So I think that's what sped things along was that she was so in tune with what I was doing and how incorrectly I was doing it. And then he was able to come right out. Awesome. And, yes. and yeah, that whole pushing when you can't quite feel it. It yeah. is. Yeah, and I remember... Um, I have, uh, as we had talked about, I have two more births, but with the first, I think because they gave me the epidural so quick to pushing, I really didn't feel the contractions. I felt the pressure, but I really didn't, I couldn't identify the contractions and I actually had to look at the monitor to see when I was contracting so I could push. Mm -hmm. And it, and that's one of the characteristics of the epidural, right? That you don't feel the the pain of the contraction or the intensity, You what you do feel, but they can't, because it works on your um on your nerves, right? right? So it can't take away the pressure of the head going through the birth canal. That 
and 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 that sort of feeling that I've got to poop that that yeah. stays there. So you go kind of with that, but you can't feel anything else around that. Right. And um, he, he, I, my opinion, he shot out. I toured a lot with him. I had to get stitched up afterwards. Um, and that was hard postpartum. And I remember bleeding, the doctor telling me that I bled a lot after the birth, but I don't remember anything after that. Like, I don't remember if they did anything in particular about that. Um, but at that point, the baby was on me and I, you know, was delirious <laughs> with um, this baby finally being here. And despite my fever, he was fine. And everything went well um, immediately postpartum. He latched right on and we were feeding. And that was great. I remember that being really a positive, positive experience right after he was born, despite tearing. And that once the epidural wore off, that that was very painful. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your perineum? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so how did you feel with the whole labor and birth at, with this labor and birth at that time once it was over? Well, I felt, uh, I felt a positive experience with it. I felt well taken care of in the hospital. The only thing was I remember at one point the the doctor had come in um, pretty close to when I had requested the epidural and said that if I didn't push this baby out soon, that they were going to have to start talking about a C-section. I remember feeling very, very upset at that point, but obviously he came right out soon after. Um, but I was, I felt that it was a very positive experience. It was fast. So I feel like looking back on it now, I wish maybe I had a little more time to process as things were happening, but immediately postpartum, I had no issues with the birth and I felt very well taken care of and well-informed. And it was a, it's a resident hospital. So there was this one resident that I felt a little uncomfortable with in the room, but at the time I didn't feel comfortable enough in my situation to say anything. But afterwards I remember being saying something to my husband that I had wished that I had It was just, it made, it was just a little bit of uncomfortable. Yeah, I was just a little uncomfortable with him in the room. But in retrospect, obviously that didn't stop me from doing it. Right, right. And it seems like your body was just going, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that epidural came and my husband was like, all right, I'm going to go down and get some breakfast. And they were like, no, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were, we just like rocked and rolled. And that is very much my son's personality. Mm-hmm. He is, he was up at five this morning. We've already gone for a run. We've gone for a bike ride. <laughs> he just, he wanted to come out. He wanted to be in this world. That's I finally actually... gave him the okay. So we did. Yeah. He's like, I waited for, you did yeah. your your wedding. Yeah. So now it's my turn. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was good. It was a good birthing experience. And I didn't feel, I had no, just no negative feelings on the birthing experience at all at that point. Mm-hmm. What, did they ever give you any reasons for the fever? No, they think that maybe my water broke a lot earlier in the night, but um, that I didn't really think it much of it at the time. Like I said, I just kind of was going with it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, my pre my prenatal planning and everything was just like, we're just going, we're just doing. And that kind of carried through that birth. Like we were just gonna, and it wasn't until well after that I was like, hmm, I wonder why. Right. And it's one of those things where, you know, birth has a lot of unexpected circumstances. It does its own thing. So then you were thrown this curveball of the fever that even without having any any you know go specifics of what you wanted for that birth right. um it did dictate a few things so because of the fever you couldn't get in the tub that you wanted to get into right. and then you had to switch ta- tactics and because you weren't moving around so much in the bed it probably was more intense and so transition was harder yeah and i i remember saying that to my husband that i had wished that i w- hadn't been stuck in the bed because i really think that i probably um, would have been able to handle everything a lot better if I had been able to move or take, you know, taken a shower or gone in the tub. But um, because of the fever and the protocol at this hospital, I wasn't allowed to. I had to stay in the bed. Um, but and I didn't feel negative about asking for the epidural. You know, I even though maybe that's not what I had really hoped for. I didn't have any issues after the fact with getting it. At that point, that's what I needed, and I just stuck with my decision and I didn't look back and I it, it that's just what we did and it worked <laughs> yeah and it worked and because you had all your hormones you know you didn't have it for a long time <laughs> yeah yeah and I remember postpartum they turned I mean they like put it on and then turned it right off because once you start pushing they turn it off um so I don't remember even having to stay in the bed for a long time you know waiting for my legs to start moving you know like I just, I don't remember any of that. Right. It must have not been very strong. It didn't have much time to take either. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah. so you had that birth experience and yes. then you're, a few years later, you're pregnant again or a few months yeah. later, you're yeah. pregnant again. So um, our first was um, 10 months old and my postpartum with him, I think, was your typical first time, I would say, unprepared Uh, mom, I didn't uh, have a huge support network. And breastfeeding was hard for me, I think, because I didn't have that support network. So there was that element of failure that kind of went along with um, that initial postpartum period. I, I did breastfeed him for about three months. And then when I had gone back to work, and I, I just couldn't, for me, it was the right decision to stop. Uh-huh because it was just too much. I was, there was too much going on and it was just one, it was just too much. Um, and so I chose to stop breastfeeding him around three months when I went back. And I also remember feeling really guilty about that, which in retrospect, I shouldn't have because with the support network that I had and the information that I had at the time, I I made the right decision for me and for my baby and for my family. Yeah. And and it's one of those things that is a very personal choice. And, yes. you know, you know the benefits of breastfeeding, right. but it also has to work for everybody. Right. And I think um, it also goes to as you parent, as you're, you get longer in your parenting journey, you make the right decision for you and your family. And you have to learn to not take in what anybody else is doing or saying and you just have to do what's right for you and whatever's in your gut is what you should be doing and that's kind of how I parent now but at the time when I was still learning 
how I was going to parent, um, that was something that I was really wrestling with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's common to have those feelings of guilt and of, yes. of failure and which don't really help anybody. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, we would, obviously we wish our support systems were different and our, you know, maternity leave laws are different and so many right. things right there's it's kind of stacked against poor new moms right. yeah so before we get into the second story and tell and you tell me a little bit how things are different or how your mindset was different as you went into we're gonna take a quick break and we'll, we'll we will be right back hey mighty mama have you checked out natural breastfeeding's quick start video yet no then what are you waiting for? Here are three reasons why you need to watch it. First, it was created by world-renowned breastfeeding experts, Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher, two ladies that I truly admire, whom you may also remember from past podcast episodes. Second, I know that natural breastfeeding works, since this is exactly what I teach my doula clients to get breastfeeding off to a fabulous start. And third, it's free. The quick start video is 38 minutes of solid information that will show you the simplest way to help a newborn latch, as well as the best way to produce enough milk for your baby and they are not going to ask you to buy any additional stuff at the end so if you're planning on breastfeeding or got started recently then you need to watch it simply go to naturalbreastfeeding.com to learn more And we are back. And so Kate, I'm talking to Kate Terza, and she is sharing her birth stories. So we've gone through number one. Tell me how you were feeling going into the second, you know, getting close to that second due date time. Um, so they're 19 months apart. So I had a little, little toddler at home and I kind of did the same prep that I had done with my first which was just doing whatever my OBs um, had suggested. We uh, were also in the process of moving, building a house. We, there was a lot of going ons. So that did my um, capacity for analyzing was not at its peak because there was just so much going on. But basically going into that birth, it was um, I was expecting a quick birth after my first. I was expecting it to be um, a, a week early-ish, which is what my first was from the due date. And I was kind of expecting it to kind of happen the same, that maybe no fever, but kind of expecting my water to break and things to just move and this baby was going to come out. Um, it didn't. <laughs> of course. Of course. And I was very disheartened by that. Um, on a Friday, he was, oh gosh, maybe, I don't know when in April he was due, let's say mid to late April, um, he was due. And I remember like a week before he was due going, I was at work and work was closer to the hospital than where we were living at the time. At the time we were at least an hour away with traffic. So I remember sitting at work and starting to get contractions and I was getting really excited, but I was also really nervous because of how fast my first had gone. And there were lots of moving parts at that point. There was someone who had to pick up my toddler from daycare. My husband was working an hour away from me. So I was, you know, it was a little more stressful. Um, so I had decided after I had been experiencing contractions for a couple of hours at work and they, I was able to obviously work through them and talk through them. Um, but I was just very nervous that this baby was going to come a lot faster 
And so I went to the hospital um, saying, hey, I'm in labor. And they said, well, yeah, you're having contractions, but you're still a one, so go home. <laughs> and I remember feeling like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. I definitely should not be going home. So my mom lived closer to the hospital. So I went to my mom's house and spent quality time with my mom and the contractions ended up stopping. So they were right. Um, the contractions stopped and I was able to sleep through that night. So Friday night and Saturday, I started having them again during the day. But at that point we were at home, which was an hour away. So after my Friday experience, I decided to just wait it out and um, he didn't come. They stopped in the afternoon and Saturday night, slept through the night. Sunday, I had nothing. So at this point, I was, I remember crying a lot because at late pregnancy, you want this baby out. Um, it was going to work better for us if he did come on the weekend because we had more people to help us out. And Sunday came and went. I went and got a pedicure because I was feeling sorry for myself. Good for you. <laughs> uh, and yes. Yeah, I was, I remember crying and just being like, you know what, I just need some time by myself and to just leave me alone. Because I feel like once you, after my experience on Friday being sent home, you know, I had kind of put everybody on high alert and I, um, I felt like they were just waiting and watching and that wasn't good for me either. Uh, so I went and I got a pedicure and nothing happened. And when I went home, nothing happened, nothing happened Sunday night, Monday, I was at work again, started happening again. Um, my contractions started again and obviously I was able to talk and work through them. But at the end of the day, I wanted to go to the hospital before I headed home because I wanted to just make sure I wasn't further along than I, I was on Friday because I was so worried that if I got home and then it would, you know, there's the hour drive, my toddler, I have to figure out, you know, there's so many things. So I went back to the hospital and again, nope, you're fine. Go home. So I went home. Do you remember what, what you were? I think I was maybe a two. Okay. Like there was a little change, but not drastic. And I mean, that makes sense because so you need some sort of strength and force to get, right. like right. you need some, some, some serious contractions to get movement from that right. cervix. Um, and you had had some contractions, but they were, um, how did they feel? Were they crampy or manageable or how they were completely manageable they were not crampy but because I with my first birth I felt like I really didn't feel contractions until they were like we were going mm -hmm. um I, I I didn't experience that early labor so I was just so worried that I was going to miss when it transitioned into active labor and then it would be you know an hour away and my kid and you know so I right. was just I was so that really stressed me out and it shouldn't have but it did um, and so I went home that Monday night and that next day I had an appointment, a checkup for my maybe 39 week. It was still early, but, um, earlier than my due date. And I went and I ended up, I was having crampy, more cramps that night, but I was able to sleep through them and I was fine. And that morning I remember I went for a walk with my toddler and then we went to the doctor and they were like, Oh, you're four centimeters. You should, you know, get, get things set and uh, maybe head to the hospital. So, um, you know, I, we figured out my toddler. We had lunch because at, the, at my hospital, once you get admitted, you're not allowed to eat anymore in case you end up having a C-section. So we went and had some lunch. Mm, ah, good, yeah. good, good thing you yeah, did. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking ahead. Um, so I went and had a big deli sandwich, which I know you're not supposed to have when you're pregnant, but I figured he was fully baked and coming anyway. So I was going to have one. And... 
Uh, then we ended up being admitted probably around two and everything was fine. I still maybe was a five at that point. It was still pretty early on. Contractions were completely manageable and they put me, I remember them have, you know, they have to put me in the bed so they can monitor for, I think they probably do intermittent monitoring there. Um, so they had to monitor him first as soon as we got there. So I was in the bed and one of the nurses asked if I was planning on getting an epidural. And at that point I was still like, well, you know, I don't know yet. And they're like, well, did you have one with you first? I said, yes, I did. And they're like, well, let us put the IV in just in case. Okay, fine. So she put the IV in, the baby was doing fine, I was doing fine, and then I started to get a little uncomfortable. It was a little more back pain than, um, and so I just was laying in bed, and it was just, I was starting to get uncomfortable, and the pain that I was in with the first one I requested the epidural, I was scared of that because of how long it seemed this labor had taken me. You know, it's taken me four days to get to this point. I was so afraid at that point that it was going to be a very long labor. And I was afraid that I was going to be in that amount of pain for a long period of time. And I didn't think I was going to be able to cope. So I requested the epidural. I maybe was a five or a six at that point. And they came and they gave me the epidural. Everything was fine. Then they broke my water. After I got the epidural, maybe this is four-ish, and he was born around 8.30, maybe? Nine? Sad. After my first, I don't remember their exact time <laughs> <laughs> or their exact weights, um, but he was born close to nine, and I remember after the epidural came, my husband and I were watching the Mets game. Um, he's a huge Mets fan and just kind of joking with the OB. There was, I think I was the only one delivering at that point in the labor and delivery. So it was like a party. It was so fun and it was so relaxing. And I remember her coming in and checking me and saying, Hey, it's time to push. I was like, all right, great. And I remember what the first nurse had told me and how to push. And I pushed twice and he was out. It was amazing. Um, he was smaller than my first baby by about a pound. So he, I didn't tear at all with my second. Also probably cause I labored for a longer period of time, I'm assuming. And he um, might've, yeah, he might've been further down. If you only did like two pushes, he might've been really down, really, I really down. It's yeah. hard to get him out. Mm -hmm. um, and he came and he was great and he latched right on. And I remember feeling awesome about that birth. And I remember the fourth stage of labor going really well. Um, and there was a resident again at that birth, but she was amazing. And I remember just the team that was in my, the nurses and the doctor and the resident, just loving that energy that was in the room. And my husband and I felt so safe and it was just so relaxed and it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a little bit different than my first, mostly because it was, it was so relaxed, you know, um, I didn't feel unsafe at my first, but the, the pace of the second was obviously much longer and, um, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Good. And, and nice that you got that after having, you know, being so frustrated with the beginning of it, that was starting, not starting and all of that. Yes. Yeah. And he, and again, very much his personality. He is, he's, he, he needs his time to get adjusted to things. And then once he's adjusted, he's fine and he's here and he's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And prodromal labor can be a little bit 
annoying because you get so excited. Yes. Yeah. And I think that was a huge part of it. Like with my first, you know, I kept telling him, you're not coming for this wedding. You're not coming. And then I gave him permission and he came so quickly. And I think my mind with the second, once it started and then stopped and started and stopped, I was really getting messed up. And I don't think it was good for either one of us. You know, Mm -hmm. I was just psyching myself up and then getting not let down, but you feel that way when you're getting excited to go have a baby, meet your baby, and then it's not happening. Yeah. No, prodromal labor requires different different kind of mindset. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's helpful for my doula clients, but I always tell them, um, you know, that like a strong contraction pattern is not going to sneak up on you. Like, a, yes. So just to ignore it until you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. And I remember asking during my second pregnancy, asking the doctor, when am I going to know if I'm in labor if my water doesn't break? Because that has what happened with my first. And she was like, oh, you'll know. And I was like, okay. (laughs) But I was like, I'm not sure I'm actually going to. But I did. I mean, once we, I mean, it was at the point where I asked for the epidural. If we had waited for the hospital at that point, I would have known. Like, this baby was coming. Um, And we still had time after that. So it it wasn't as fast as I had thought. And it was a good thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Yeah, Yeah, that one was really, really good experience. Cool. So then fast forward some months and you're pregnant again. What are you doing then? Okay, so um, number three, same practice, same hospital, same MO. My second pregnancy and birth, obviously I loved my birth, my second birth. I was planning on that again, nice and relaxed, you know, watching maybe at that point, it was September. So uh, the 49ers was, uh, and my husband's a big 49ers fan. So that's what we were, you know, maybe watch some 49ers and just kind of enjoy it as we did the second. And she was due my third after two boys. Um, my third was due a week after my first one's birthday. So I think it might've been the same due date. And we kept telling our almost four-year-old at that point that the baby, he kept asking, when's the baby coming? When's the baby coming with it? Around your birthday. He woke up that morning and climbed into bed with us, you know, five. <laughs> well, mom, why is the baby not here? It's my birthday. Well, it's around your birthday. She could come in a couple of days, but she'll be here. Don't worry. She'll be here. He was very excited to meet his sister. And we had had his birthday party like three weeks earlier. So I think in his mind, like he was like, ah, my party's over. Let's bring on the next exciting thing, which would be my little sister. Right. So um, we, you know, went along our day and I went for a long walk. Remember having contractions during my walk, but that wasn't uncommon at that point in my third labor when I would go for my walks that I would get contractions. So I just kind of blew them off and we went, I don't know, we did went to something, park somewhere with my kids and had lunch. And then I remember playing with them at the park and not being able to breathe, like they were starting to come more frequent and not being able to talk through them anymore. And I had tested positive for group B strep. So I was also nervous about getting, of course, I just have, I'm just a nervous person, I guess. <laughs> but I was nervous about getting to the hospital in time to get the antibiotics. Um, because I wasn't really, I didn't do my research. And I just kind of, they told me I needed to get there for IV antibiotics. So I was going to get there for IV antibiotics. 
So she, I started to not be able to talk and I had decided at that point, I looked at my husband, I said, I think we should get the kids to where they need to go and kind of go to the hospital. But I was also trying to just work through them because in my head, I didn't want them to have the same birthday. I wanted my son to have his own day and her to have her own day. Mm. So I was kind of, you know, I, I was sitting down at that point, once they started getting pretty intense, I was, I was trying to bring it down again, you know, sitting down and not moving and trying to stop them. <laughs> um, but they wouldn't. And so we went to the, we dropped the kids off. We had lunch again. We went and got a quick lunch and then we went to the hospital and they gave me my IV and I was, I think I was five or six when we got there and they requested an epidural because again, I was starting to, my second birth was just so wonderful that I just wanted to repeat. So I requested an epidural pretty much once we got situated in the room and they came, I had low hmm, white or platelets, something was wrong. And the nurse, I remember the nurse and anesthesiologist, I had to sign a waiver saying it was okay to get my epidural. I'm not really sure exactly which was low. And that gave me a little like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. But that second birth was so strong in my mind that I was like, Nope, I'm going to do it. I'll be fine. It's just a story of my life. My body knows what it's doing. We'll be okay. We'll be able to deal with it, whatever happens. So I got my epidural and things were progressing um, not, I wouldn't say quickly, but things were progressing. My, I got two rounds of the antibiotics. So once those finished, I remember my nurse coming in and saying that the doctor had wanted to start Pitocin, which I had never had. And I, at this point, maybe it's six o'clock at night. And I'd only been there since maybe one thirty or two. So I was like, okay. Mm, that kind of makes sense. Cause so Usually the protocol for the um, for the antibiotics is every four hours. Okay, so maybe he wanted to start the Pitocin once they what, started the second bag or something. Yeah, not- so if you got there around one and they started the bag around two and then it was four hours and then it's five, six again and right. that's gone in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, he wanted to start Pitocin and I was like, mm, Why? Because my other births obviously had progressed fine without it. Um, And she, I remember her turning to me and saying, he has been here all day. You're the last one that needs to deliver and he wants to go home. And I was like, oh. She told you that? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And And I liked her. Like, I don't think she was trying to be, I think maybe she was trying to make me uncomfortable with him. I think she was leveling with me. I don't think she was trying to make me feel uncomfortable at all because she was a great nurse. Yeah, no, no. I'm just surprised that she actually said that because usually even if that's the reason, they don't quite say that. Right. And I remember looking at my husband like, what? Okay. And then at that point, I'm like, well, I don't want to make him upset. He's delivering my baby. Like do whatever he says to do. So we start Pitocin and I'm not even on that. I mean, I don't even know how long I was on it, but she was born. I think she was born around eight. So not for very long. And I remember feeling the pressure and I turned to the nurse. I said, you know what? I don't know what's going on down there, but it is not good. It was very intense pressure. And she looked, she said, yep, yep, she's here. And I pushed twice again and she came out 
and she latched right on. Everything was great. And I remember the fourth stage of labor going fine. Um, Third stage. Third stage. Why am I? Th- yes. That's Third okay. stage of labor. <laughs> going. I'm thinking fourth trimester for. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so the third stage of labor went fine in my book. Everything was fine. I remember the epidural taking a really long time to wear off with her. And I was getting really frustrated because I just wanted to be able to move into my postpartum room. Um, and he, I remember the doctor, you know, signing off on it. Everything was fine. Went to our postpartum room and I remember feeding her once the epidural wore off and being in intense pain, like intense contracting. And I asked the nurse, I said, you know, I, I'm in a lot of pain when I nurse her, a lot. She's like, oh, third baby, you're fine. Said, okay. And um, this part of my story, I'm going to say certain things that now looking back on it makes sense. But at the time, I just kind of was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember nursing her and being in an awful amount of pain for days, like days, weeks and having to take Advil for a long period of time, which I didn't have to do with my first two. And I, um, remember bleeding a lot, Mm. a lot. And again, I remember asking the nurse at the hospital and she's like, third baby, everything is worse with the third baby. And I was like, okay. So I just kept going with it. And this might be TMI, but um, I also remember probably a month after she was born being at my son's preschool and he was like laying in my lap and with his head in my lap. And I remember being like, mommy, you smell. And me being like, what is he talking about? Like I shower. (laughs) What is he talking about? And then my postpartum checkup comes and I am still bleeding red. It is bright red. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's a lot. And so my postpartum checkup doesn't, isn't till six weeks. Right. And, um, leading up to that, my daughter who I'm exclusively breastfeeding at this point, she wasn't gaining weight. She wasn't yet at her one month mark. She wasn't up to her birth weight. And they attributed that to, you know, the IV antibiotic, like all the things that had gone in my, in, in my delivery. And so I kind of was okay with that. But you were exclusively breastfeeding. Nobody was telling you that you should supplement? No. My um, pediatricians, who I love, they are a breastfeeding practice. And they knew how important. At this point, with my third pregnancy, I had the support network. And I had really close friends that have were breastfeeding, had breastfed, and really I was going to do it this time. And there was a longer period of time between my second and third. And they, so my first two kind of could entertain themselves while I nursed. And I also didn't really, I had no um, filter. I could nurse anywhere. It didn't really bother me. So I was going to nurse this baby and that was really, really important to me. And they knew that. So they, at that point still did not suggest supplementing, but they did suggest that I make an appointment with their lactation consultant that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. But here's a testament. You're a testament to how different support and how different. Yes. You know, because that is that what you're telling me is so unusual that it is surprising me that nobody yeah. is pushing you for like, what? It's a month after not even two. you know, usually this happens at two weeks that yeah. if they're not to birth weight, you get 
red right. al- alerts going off. Yeah. Yeah. But she had been gaining weight. She lost a ton of weight. Uh-huh. When- left the hospital and she was gaining weight she just wasn't up to her so every time we we went every week to the pediatrician she was gaining weight but okay. she was up to her birth weight but um they were just like nope go we'll make an appointment with the lactation consultant and we'll go from there but that's so, fantastic i'm, I'm yeah. so happy that that was the pediatrician care you were getting for her and where you were at mentally and and in terms of experience yeah. that everything came together and it, it, so, it obviously yeah. made a huge difference for me because if this had happened in my first i don't think i would have been able to handle it as well right and stuck to my goal of breastfeeding at all at that point if someone had told me that my baby wasn't getting wasn't gaining enough weight i think i immediately would have switched to supplementing um so went for my postpartum checkup and my lactation consultant appointment was maybe the next day, day after. It was they were very close together. So I went to my postpartum checkup and I was still bleeding a lot. It was and I, as I mentioned, it was very red. And um I didn't really pass any clots. It was just a lot of bleeding. And the my OB who delivered said, mm, you need to get a sonogram. This something's not right. And so I went and got my sonogram and they diagnosed me with a retained placenta. And then I went to back to him the same day, you know, after the sonogram, he diagnosed me and he gave me, I want to say, I might be wrong. I'm not going to say the medication because what I'm going to say is probably completely incorrect, but he gave me medication in hopes that I wouldn't need a DNC and I would be able to pass the clot, pass the retained placenta by myself with the use of this medication. And I asked him if it was okay if I was breastfeeding on the medication. Yes, it's fine. Everything is fine. Okay. I go along on my merry way. I take the medication a day or two later is when I have my lactation consultant appointment. Um, she watches me. It was like an hour long appointment. She latches great. Everything seems to be great. She seems to be satisfied at the end of the feed. Everything seems great. We don't know what's going on. And then she starts asking me about my medical history with the delivery and everything. And I said, well, yesterday or whatever, two days ago, I was diagnosed with a retained placenta. She was like, oh, well, <laughs> right. that's why you are not making, why she's not getting weight. You're not making enough milk. And I just crumbled like this. Mm. I was so dedicated to breastfeeding that I was, I was completely blindsided by this. And I was really upset that the OB that I had seen a couple of days before and talked about breastfeeding with didn't mention anything to me about that. This could be a side effect. I mean, or is a side effect, not could be, it is. Right. Because it, it, so the placenta has to complete to completely be out for your body, the hormones to work. And and that tells your body you're not pregnant. You have to now you are going to breastfeed. So make a lot of milk. So your body was getting conflicting issues from there's a baby suckling at my breast saying that they need milk, but I have placenta and still left in my uterus saying I'm still pregnant. Yeah. So my body didn't know which end was up. And I was feeling felt like she definitely was getting some um, because we did weighing a couple of times, like before I would feed her and after I feed her at my other, the weight checks. And she was getting like an ounce or two and they were satisfied that that was enough. But obviously it wasn't. She needed well, but that that's actually a testament to how amazing you and your body are that even with the retained placenta, yeah. you were still making enough milk for your baby. Sure, maybe not to thrive, but to gain weight, to be yeah. okay. Yeah, she was surviving. And um, so my lactation consultant and doctor, we worked together to make um, a plan 
because at that point I was maybe almost two, well, at least six weeks, maybe closer to two months of, you know, not enough milk production. So, um, the odds of me getting my full enough to, to provide Mm -hmm. was probably, um, going to a either take a ton of work or, um, be not happen. And, um, so we set up a plan because I had two other kids and my husband was working full time. At that point I had gone back to work. My baby was coming with me to work. Um, so I was working with her. So there was, I had a lot of limitations on how much, um, time and energy I could focus on breastfeeding, getting my milk production back up to breastfeed exclusively. So we came up with a plan to, um, every time she nursed every two hours at that point around the clock, um, which we had started before this mark. I mean, we started that probably around the three or four week mark. Once she wasn't gaining enough weight to satisfy the pediatrician, I was every two hours, I would wake her up and we would try and we would feed. Ah, and that is, you have been doing this at this point for almost two months. That's a lot of hard work. It was, it was was hard and it was exhausting. And, um, I had two other kids, you know, it was a lot. And I, but I was, I was determined that this was going to work. And, um, so we set up our plan to keep doing that. But after I would nurse her, I would then pump or Mm -hmm. try and get her to nurse again. And then, um, supplement with an ounce to two ounces after every feed mm-hmm. of formula. So we did that and I probably did that for about two weeks. And then I just couldn't keep doing that strict regimen. It just wasn't working for my family. And at that point I didn't, I wasn't seeing any increase, um, real. She was still t- taking the same amount of formula after each feed mm. And I wasn't pumping actually anything after I was feeding her. So I kind of dwindled out. Yeah. I feel like I just, I wasn't going to be able to increase my production enough to back off of the formula feed. So I decided to just stop pumping. So I was still nursing her and then supplementing her, but I just took out the pumping part after each feed. Yeah. And you had also the situation that she is growing. So every day that goes by as days past, right. she wants more milk. She wants more. And yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't, and I tried fenugreek. I mean, I tried anything and everything. I made lactation cookies. I mean, I was on a mission mm-hmm. that I was going to, but I just, after two weeks, my lactation consultant uh, said, you know, you can keep going and maybe it will increase, but you know, you've given your body a a significant amount of time and maybe this is how much you're going to make. And this is kind of what's going to happen. And so I I quit with the pumping after each feed, but I still kept nursing and supplementing her. And then we were able to do that until she self weaned at 10 months. Um, And that was still a triumph. I mean, after I got over the initial emotional, I mean, it was, it was really hard once I, I was told that I wasn't able to breastfeed exclusively for my baby. Um, and once I got over that and just was like, well, okay, but we're still, I still have means to provide for my baby and that's okay. Once I got that mindset, it was easier to move forward. Um, but it took me a while. (laughs) It wasn't like, you know, a couple minutes after I was told it was, it was weeks afterwards. Well, and that makes sense because you were working so hard. I'm listening to you and I'm listening to, I'm remembering when we started talking and 
how your breastfeeding attitude and and how from what you knew how you breastfed your first baby yeah and how different with your third baby yes yes and i i truly believe that if i had the support network and felt the comfort level i had in my pediatricians and had them i didn't have them initially with my first if i had that comfort level and that support network i think i would have succeeded um with breastfeeding for at least longer than I did with my first two, because my second was about the same as my first, about three months, and then we switched. Um, but it really has opened my eyes to this whole, I mean, it really is so important as a mom to have that support network and find your tribe to help you because it's it's impossible to do it alone. Even if you do have a supportive partner, it's, impo- it's, it's impossible is the wrong word. It's harder, a lot harder. And it shouldn't be. <laughs> yes, because so many people are willing to share their journey and support you. That's, I mean, the community is there. You just need to know how to find it. Yes. So I guess my question is, how did you, because all in all, if, if I'm hearing right from what you're saying is right. you are happy with your births. You liked how they went. You enjoyed them. Yes. Um. And you had, so yeah, I, I, I'm filling in words, but you tell me. Okay. So my first two, I would definitely not really change anything. I, I mean, obviously with the first, maybe the fever. So I was a little more present and not quite so fast, but all in all, it was a positive experience with my third. Um, I don't think my decisions were, I would have changed necessarily. I think I would have said in hindsight, I, I, I believe in my heart that because the doctor was in a rush to get out and I didn't speak my mind to say, maybe just let my body do what it's supposed to do and not give me Pitocin, I, I, I believe that maybe that had a part in the retained placenta. I'm not saying it caused it, but I think that maybe my body wasn't ready to give birth yet. Mm-hmm. And that may have caused all my issues um, but I also may be placing, placing a lot of blame where blame is not needed or, or warranted. Um, but that is the way I feel that maybe I would, I should have said no to the Pitocin and maybe my postpartum experience would have been a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so hard to say on hindsight, what could, yeah. what would have happened? Um, the Pitocin does interfere with your oxytocin, your own flows and cycles. Right. Um, and that plays a really good part in how your body, you know, gets the placenta out. But at the same time, it's kind of prophylactic to give Pitocin after birth right. for the placenta. So I don't know. Do you know if you had Pitocin at, to deliver the placenta after I the first not. two? Okay. No, I, I didn't. Um, my placenta was, I mean, it was like baby it was very, I was very lucky in that part. It was very quick and I didn't have any interventions after the baby was born, um, to help that along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I could be totally off. Um, but I did, I did feel that, um, with my third, that I wasn't as supported as I was in my first two in the room. Mm. I didn't feel as safe. And my postpartum experience with my OB and how, um, I should say, after my lactation consultant appointment and we diagnosed what was wrong, I went back to my OB, the same one who delivered and diagnosed, 
and said, um, you know, told him what had happened and, you know, that um, I went to lactation consultant and now I, why didn't you mention that maybe this would influence my breastfeeding relationship? And um, something that he said to me, this is, these are not his exact words, um, but he was very blase about the whole thing. And he um, said, well, you're an experienced mom. I would, I'm surprised you didn't know that she wasn't getting enough. And I was crushed that um, he would, that someone would think that of me, like that I was, I was out of tune with my baby and didn't know she was getting enough. Like, right. I, and that, I remember, she, it, that he would just toss it back to you. Right, right, right. And I, maybe I was at that point was, I was definitely angry at that point. Um, not, I probably directed it towards him. I'm not saying I was the nicest person when I was. I would have been livid, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely wasn't like, oh, hey, look what happened. Like, it's great. It's fine. We're going to be okay. I was upset about it. And I was hoping to find answers from him on why this happened, why, why this happened to me. And he just kept telling me that it all looked fine when it came out. <laughs> well, it wasn't. <laughs> Mm. And also you were telling, you did mention to the nurses, this is not, yeah. this is, and they, they were brushing you off. Like you did speak up. Yeah. And I, in hindsight, I should have gone more with what, like that wasn't right. And that what, I mean, it was different than my first two. And I should have gone with that instead of just believing that. And I am not one to make a big deal about things like that. So I probably wasn't as forceful when I was talking to them about it. So they honestly probably didn't believe that it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, I definitely should have. It wasn't right. It wasn't the way I had experienced it before. And I definitely should have spoke up sooner and louder. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the thing that once you get you go home... Your next, the next time they see you is six weeks later, which is insane because right before you give birth, they're seeing you every single and, week and then bye. Yeah. And I, in now that I've gone through that whole experience and I have since um, become more involved in the birth community, I've actually gone to training to be a postpartum doula. And Yay. yeah. And, um, but being in that community, and seeing what other options there are and what other support networks there are, I am a little sad that I didn't have that at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe in retrospect, it would have been nice to have people more in tune with the birthing community um, and more in tune with birth after I had my third. Maybe they could, me talking about it, they would have been like, nah, it doesn't sound right. But at the time, I wasn't. So I didn't have anybody to draw from in that experience. I had breastfeeding, you know, tons of people that had breastfed, but no one that was experiencing or had been around what the bleeding part of it. Right. And that's where I, I'm going to make a plug for doulas and postpartum doulas, both birth and postpartum, because we don't do anything medical. But right. we're good at observing and bringing things together. So, you know, a doula will, a birth doula will come and do a postpartum meeting with you soon after right. the baby's born and ask you, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? How's your recovery going? How's the lochia, which is the bleeding, right? Is it getting right. better? Is it a, and 
and then you feel you can have somebody you can call. Look, this is still not. Is this still okay? And they can right. say, hmm, that doesn't sound normal. How about you do give a call? Yeah. And I remember being discharged um, with all of them. But I remember them telling me that if I, I passed a clot larger than a golf, it was a, it was a huge amount, like golf ball or egg or some like huge clot to call. And I never did. I mean, I passed clots, but not humongous ones. Right. And I think one of the things they also should tell people is, you know, you will be bleeding, but this bleeding should get better as time goes by it shouldn't be bright red in a month's time you know you should be it should be like a long period that then becomes sort of dischargey and goes away right yeah which is what I experienced with my first two but again going back to you know my third baby everything's worse and having two other kids right you know there's so many things that when you look hindsight is 2020 right so when I look back I'm like gosh Kate like why didn't you know? But there was so much going on. And you're just, as a new mom, I feel like you're just trying to get through each day with everybody alive and loved. <laughs> yeah. And can we give you props and say, can we also point to the fact that you are waking up every two hours yeah. to breastfeed <laughs> your child? I mean, That's let's add sleep deprivation. There was, I, was at. I would have to say there was a haze. Like, I think a lot of it was just one big haze. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know there's I hope you don't feel guilty about not saying something and not anymore and when I first interestingly I feel like when I first got involved with the postpartum training postpartum doula training and everything and you know then I really started analyzing my births and my birth stories and my postpartum and all that I did feel guilty and I almost almost felt the need to like have have another birth to kind of like do it right. Just, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you want and that then, do-over birth, yeah. Right. And I was like, no, there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's just another chapter to my story. There was nothing. Uh, we're all okay. We all are fine. Emotionally, it just made me stronger. It's now set me on this different, what I, you know, a different career path. And that is good. I don't need to justify having another child just to make myself feel better about you know that 10 hours of birth exactly and and you can sort of surrogately have that postpartum experience by helping others yes have it yeah and to help them not have the same experience that I had which like I said, it's made me stronger and I don't regret anything and I don't feel guilty at this point. Initially, I definitely did. But at this point, it is just another chapter in our in my parenting life. I've learned a lot and I just hope that no one else has to go through that emotional part mm-hmm. like I did. Because that was, that was hard once mm-hmm. I had set my goal to breastfeed and then physically not being able to. I love how this went from birth stories to breastfeeding stories <laughs> and postpartum. And no, it's, I do. I actually do because it's all connected. It's yeah. all important. And you can have one thing affects the other. You, you are showing very clearly how a birth is affecting breastfeeding. Yeah. And I think that 
we do a lot of preparation. Most, most people that I know and are around, I feel like we do a lot of prep for birth. And I don't think a lot, as much energy is necessarily given for the postpartum aspect of it. And that, I mean, I, I am testament to that my first. I mean, I definitely thought a lot more about my birth than I did about what was going to happen afterwards. And I think that that maybe didn't set me up for success as much as I, if I had with like my third, I had set up that postpartum network and, and I, I felt more successful in that third postpartum period, despite um, the issues that I did have. And I, absolutely. And I feel that because you have had these sort of challenging postpartum experiences, that it puts you in a place where you can be more empathic and have more compassion towards new moms. Yeah. And have and and be able to, you know, give them the information and let them make their choices because you know that there is it has to be working for them. Yes. Um so if they say I am just going to do it for this one week, and you're like, "Okay." You know, right. you had all the information, you valid, went through your circumstances, you weighed it all out, and this is what you're coming with. I am supporting you. Yeah, and I think that it's hard, especially when you don't have that support to 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 do it, to stick to your goals yeah. and not feel guilty about if something doesn't go as you had hoped. Because honestly, parenting and I feel like all once you become a parent, you really need to just go with what is right for you. And I think that might be a hard lesson for certain some people to to come to 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 understand and i feel like once you're able to just make your own decisions based on what is right for you and your family based on whatever support you have then it's just easier to go forward in all aspects of parenting absolutely absolutely yeah there's my parenting plug <laughs> there it is there it is. I was, I was, see, now I don't have to ask you, like, what are the parting words you want to leave the, least, the listeners? Is. There they were. Yeah, find your drive and just, you know, stick to your decisions. If it's right for you, it's right for you. And you don't need to justify it. Yeah. And you can change your mind also. Yes. You don't, flexibility is key, right? Yes. Sometimes you have to change your mind. Yeah. Kate, yeah. thank you so, so much for sharing all your stories with us today. Thank you. Mighty Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter or subscribe at birthful.com. And if you want to get the early bird special for my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit, then go to birthful.com slash toolkit. That way you'll be the first to know when it goes live and get a discount. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another Mighty Mama about her birth story or stories here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.